that's when I kind of started to connect the dots that the wound hasn't been healing since about February. There has been a piece of foam stuck inside me since February. Hello, and welcome to Wait, You What? It's the podcast where I ask that exact question to a bunch of different people. And in their answer, we explore people's surprising stories of struggle, lived experience, and self-discovery. The idea is that you leave the podcast with a new way to look at the world, or with some advice, or feeling more empathetic, or feeling more empowered. I've been blown away by the reviews that you've left me. Thank you so much for the five-star reviews. It really helps to boost me on like the Apple pages and all of that stuff. So thank you. If you like it, leave a review. Today, you're hearing me ask, wait, you what? To someone who does not have a butthole. Yeah. The story involves phantom butt pains, medical malpractice, medical gaslighting, a lot of teenage embarrassment and a whole lot of butt stuff. And a little warning on this episode, it does discuss butts in depth sometimes, and it doesn't hold back. So if it's not your vibe, you can skip this episode and go listen to one of the many other bangers that are out. My name is Emma. I live in Toronto, Canada. I'm 27 years old and I don't have a butthole. As you can probably imagine, when you don't have a butthole, it's a pretty big part of your life. So much so that Emma's autocorrect on her phone has caught on. So it happens sometimes where I'm about to write the word but, as in, but wait, and it will just immediately assume that I'm writing butthole. It is a word that gets a lot of use in my my everyday life, just uh, by virtue of my not having one, particularly when I was about to go through the surgery that removed it. So yeah, spoiler alert, Emma was born with a butthole, but her story has a lot of twists and turns and a destination that finally meant that she had to get it removed. It is actually called the Barbie butt surgery. No, it's known as that in kind of circles where this kind of thing is common. And I mean, that name should be pretty self-explanatory. Imagine a Barbie butt. That's why it gets its name. They've they've rerouted it, basically. These days, the worst part about living without a butthole is phantom butthole pains. And what's that? Well, again, kind of self-explanatory. Basically, it's where you you feel like you have to go to the bathroom the way that, you know, a, a normal person would. But you obviously don't have to. Because you don't have a butthole. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have the capacity to do that. So you just feel like you need to poo, but you can't poo. Yeah. So for me, it usually happens when I'm, I'm at the gym, like on the elliptical. And it's, it's this really awkward thing where I have to like take a break, like from the elliptical, like, no guys, I'm, I'm still using this, like, don't, don't take it. But I have to go to the bathroom and just kind of sit there for about five minutes and just like wait for the feeling to go away. You just have to like mind going to the bathroom. To trick your body into thinking. Trick, tricks your mind into thinking that you, you are actually going like a normal person. But compared to the pain that Emma went through for many, many years, phantom butthole pains are really nothing. See, Emma has something called Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease is a form of inflammatory bowel disease. And inflammatory bowel disease is an autoimmune disease. So it's where your immune system works into overdrive and it basically perceives a part of your digestive system. And with Crohn's disease, that would be any, any part in the digestive system. 
as an invader. And so it just causes inflammation throughout the digestive system. So basically your digestive system attacks itself. And it's not uncommon, but no one really talks about it. And that's what Emma's trying to change. Emma was just a teenager when she first heard the word Crohn's. I was diagnosed when I was 13 years old, which is a fairly common age nowadays to be diagnosed, but also like the worst age to go through literally anything. When you're 13, you're like, don't even look at me. Do not perceive me. So uh, I was diagnosed fairly quickly. But again, just I felt super embarrassed because everything is all about me at that age. And I thought, oh, my God, like the gastroenterologist is judging me because I have Crohn's. Like, No, that's his job. (laughs) So you're 13 and, you know, I can imagine people are asking you about your poo and looking at it. And like all they're talking about is your butt. How does that feel? I mean, it feels really embarrassing when you're 13 and it's not something you ever want to be talking about, let alone having to disclose it to a ton of strangers, adults who you might not be super comfortable with either. It's, it's a bit of a, an adjustment. And I kind of learned quickly that you just have to get comfortable with it, unfortunately. So after being diagnosed at 13, it was pretty bad for two years. She had a lot of symptoms, but she lived with it. When I turned 15, things got pretty, pretty hard. Um, I had a flare where if you, if you have Crohn's disease, you will sometimes have flare-ups where you have a really bad period of active disease. And for me, it really just never went away from age 15 up until right before I turned 17. And that was when I had the surgery to remove my large intestine. So to clarify, this is not the Barbie butt surgery. This is removing the large intestine and leaving the rectum in. But damn, 17 and you're being told you have to get your entire large intestine out. Can you imagine? But the pain was so bad at that point that Emma was willing to try anything and it could be the end of her pain completely. So she was ready to embrace it. When Emma woke up from surgery, she had a whole new way of pooping, an ileostomy. You may have heard of a colostomy, but this is a bit different. A colostomy is where they leave some of the colon behind. With me, it was completely taken out aside from my rectum. I have an ileostomy where they have taken a portion of my my small intestine and put it outside of my body, and it's covered by the ileostomy bag. So usually it just looks like a bag, a um, skin-colored bag. Granted, I'm I'm Caucasian, so I am lucky that it is always the color of my skin. Not not everybody has that luxury, but it just is an opaque skin-colored bag. But when I take it off, it's this um, weird red slimy thing. If you want to Google what the inside of an intestine looks like, just imagine that on the outside of your body. It definitely looks very horror movie-esque sometimes. And while Emma was really glad that this might be the fix for her Crohn's, she was also still just a teenager who had been given another reason to feel self-conscious about her body. You know, you're when you're a teen, you're having a really hard time with your body as it is. So having that on top of now I have this whole new thing that's going to set me apart from everybody else. I remember like being really dramatic and giving all my bikinis to my friends like, here, take them. 
they're of no use to me anymore. And on top of that, Emma's weight kept changing because of the way that her body was absorbing nutrients. I was also really severely underweight because when when you have Crohn's and you're in a flare, you're not really absorbing nutrients all that well. I wasn't eating anything. I was just getting a some kind of nutrient uh, solution that went up my nose and into into a tube that like fed down into my stomach. Despite this, Emma was feeling pretty good for a while there, but she started noticing something. Even though her rectum was now not attached to anything in her body, it began passing blood. The rectum is still functional. It's still an organ. It's still like you might like empty it sometimes, but it started getting to the point where with the blood, it just became so frequent that it's like, oh no, this is not just a once every few weeks thing that they said it might be. This is a multiple times a day thing. And every time it is just blood. Like this is, we're, we're back where we started. So Emma's health started taking a nosedive again. I got to the point where I was, I was in university at the time and I would come to class just so tired. And I remember one day I went to class and my professors looked at me and said, go home. Like, you look, you look awful. I, I went home for spring break and I got a routine blood test. I got that done on a Friday night. And on Saturday morning, they called me and I was still in bed. And they said, your blood work looks terrible. Like, you should go to the hospital right now. My iron was so low because I was losing so much blood. So I had to go into the clinic and get iron infusions. I had to basically just like stop moving. And I was in journalism school too. So I was like hauling like camera equipment everywhere. And they were like, how do, how are you doing that? Like, how are you even alive right now? And then Emma got some bad news. The surgery that removed her large intestine that was meant to be the fix for her Crohn's disease hadn't worked. Basically, um, the inflammation that was in my large intestine that caused them to remove that was coming into my rectum now. Once again, surgery was on the cards. Medication was an option, but it was really expensive and Emma didn't have insurance and it wasn't a long-term fix anyway. So I kind of always knew that surgery was going to be the option and it was just kind of my job to tell them that that's the option that I wanted. And even though surgery is seen as almost a last resort. Enter Bobby Butt surgery. They take out your, your rectum and then they, they sew it up. And when it heals, it just is, it looks like, like a Barbie doll <laughs> or it's supposed to. I, I don't know if mine actually turned out that way for a few reasons. <laughs> this is when Emma met her colorectal surgeon, who we're going to call Dr. J. At first, he seemed fine. He, he was a pretty nice guy. He kind of explained what was going to happen, what to expect. Emma got the Barbie butt surgery and once again woke up with a whole new body that she had to learn how to use. I kind of felt weird because I, the thing about getting that surgery is because it is in, in your, it is in your butt. You're not really allowed to put a ton of pressure on that area. So sitting is not recommended. How did you, how did you live? A lot of lying down. I stayed home a lot at that point, but I, I maybe had a sense that this surgery was going to be quick because I was like, oh, well, you're taking out, you know, I've already had an entire large intestine out. Like what's like six inches physically. I, I thought I was feeling okay, but it's also kind of all relative where 
you know, okay, I'm feeling better because I'm not constantly bleeding anymore. Like that's good. But I definitely felt like now knowing how I feel normally now, I was like, I no, that wasn't good. Emma went to see Dr. J after the surgery. He, he took a look at the surgical wound where my, my rectum used to be. And he said, no, this doesn't look good. Like you're infected. And I go, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, you're like, do you not notice that like you have a fever right now? I'm like, no, didn't notice that. Emma was annoyed. She had a life to get on with. She was studying. She had to get back to her semester. She said, we need to fix this as soon as possible. He said, yeah, I I know, but we're going to, we have some ideas. Like I'm going to put a wound vac on this, which is this like huge, big appliance that it's a, it's called a negative pressure bandage where you have this big appliance and a tube. The tube connects to your wound that is connected to a bandage. And it uses basically a vacuum technology to try and like close the wound that way. And I said, well, it's orientation week where we do all these things. Like, you know, we go, we go out to pubs and we go like on a, on a boat cruise. Like I'm not going to take a wound vac on orientation week. And this thing is not subtle. It has like its own little carrying case. that looks like this like little laptop bag or something. It's like, I'm already carrying like tons of textbooks and a computer with me to class. And now I have to carry this with like the tube coming out and, and the tube was also see-through. So it's like, you could see like blood, whatever else comes out of infected wounds going up the tube. So I was also like, okay, like, no, nobody talked to me right now. I kind of just isolated myself from everybody because I'm like, I don't think anybody like wants to like, wants to be close to me. Like I'm kind of disgusting right now. Did it smell at all? Yeah. <laughs> it it smelled like um I guess like a an infected wound. So yeah, I would sit at the back of class and I would just, you know, people kind of remembered me from O week, but then I was just like, okay, but also like I don't want to talk to you guys right now and I'm sure you don't want to talk to me either. This went on for months, lugging around this weird, noisy, smelly vacuum through school. But nothing changed. Emma was still infected. Months passed. So about a year after I had the initial removal surgery, it had still not healed. And what happened was Dr. J decided that a good option that does work sometimes would be to have me go under again and they would open up the wound, basically remove any of the the dead tissue, any of the like scar tissue, I guess, anything that was stopping it from healing and just start over. Into surgery again, out of surgery again. It was still infected. Nothing changed. She kept having checkups with Dr. J. Nothing changed. It was still infected. I go for a checkup and he looks at it and he says, yeah, I think like we've gone as far as we can go with this. And I go, okay, like, is it healed? No. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So like, what now? He goes, well, we just have to like keep doing what I had been doing the year before, which is go to, go to a a wound care clinic every day, maybe every two days, have it cleaned, have it packed and, you know, just wait for it to, to close up naturally that way. So I am, I am going to law school. I am getting up early every morning, going to a clinic, having people shove gauze up my butt and then like send me off to class. (laughs) 
By this point, it had been so long and Emma still wasn't healing. She had this feeling in her gut that something was wrong. It felt off. She didn't know what else to do. She was beside herself. She said this to Dr. J. I'm saying like, what, what are we doing? Like, what am I doing? What can I do that is going to help this? Like, is there anything that I can do? Like, it's my body. I feel like maybe I should be taking charge here. So he says, no, there's, there's nothing you can do. This is just how it is. And somehow he'd both say there was nothing more that they could do, but also imply that Emma wasn't doing enough to heal her own body. He would inspect the wound or how it was packed. And he'd say, well, you're not telling the nurses at the clinic, like that it needs to be packed tightly. And I'm like, I'm sitting there in pain when they're doing it. Like, I'm not going to ask them to do it even tighter. Like it's already extremely painful. No, I'm not doing that. At this point, Emma was spending most of her free time researching for options on how she could heal. There was one thing that she hadn't tried. Remember the wound vac, the vacuum that she carried around at school with the tube and the heavy briefcase thing? There was a new one of these on the market. It was meant to be more effective. She put it to Dr. J that they should try it. And I said, okay, I've, I've heard of this new wound vac because I am like knee deep now in medical science. I've heard of this wound back where it's a really small appliance. It doesn't make any noise. The tube isn't see-through. That's a big bonus. So I was like, can, can we try this? Like might, might be something. And he just says, no, I've heard of it. Uh, don't think it's worth it. Uh, the science, like the science isn't conclusive. They rushed it to market. And I'm like, fine, like, I guess Like, I am going to defer to you. You know more than me. You've been to medical school. I haven't. But at this point, there was beginning to be bad blood between Emma and Dr. J. I think we made a mutual decision for me to go to the wound care specialist in the hospital, which at this point, it's been two years. And I'm like, we have a wound care specialist. So Emma went to the wound care specialist and asked for the appliance. And the wound care specialist said, yeah, sure. Why not? I got, I got this little wound back on and it was great for the first couple of days. Like, barely even felt it, didn't have, didn't make a ton of noise like the other one did. I was just going to work, coming home. It was pretty simple. And then uh, within a couple days, I woke up and I'm like, I smell like a dead body. Like what is happening? And so I called in sick to work and I just kind of laid in bed all day, just being like, like, again, like, common refrain, like nobody touch me, nobody look at me. By about five or six in the evening, I was like, I can't do this. I can't take this anymore. Like I can't, I'm not going back to the clinic for another few days to get it, to get the bandage changed. Like I need to, I need to take care of this now. And this is something like I never would have done otherwise, but I just like tore the whole thing off. And Under there, I found a piece of foam and I recognized the shape of the piece of foam because it was a kind of foam they had been using back in February to pack my wound. And for reference, this was June. And we hadn't been using that foam since February. And that's when... I kind of started to connect the dots that I've been infected since about February. The wound hasn't been healing since about February. 
there has been a piece of foam stuck inside me since February. The reason she wasn't healing was because a piece of medical debris had been left inside of her. At first, I, I kind of laughed about it. I'm like, oh, this is kind of funny. Like, this is like, I'm like a sitcom, like only me. And then I kind of thought about it. I'm like, no, no, that's actually really messed up. Like there was an object inside your body that you didn't know about for five months. And nobody caught it. I went for an MRI and nobody noticed. Medical malpractice is a very difficult thing to win. And unfortunately, tort law was my worst class in law school that year. So I also wasn't feeling like super confident about my ability to tell somebody that I had a legal right <laughs> because I probably didn't actually. But I, I use my, my first year of law school powers to be like, I have a complaint and I want recourse. And their answer was, we can't really do anything. <laughs> and I knew that that was going to be the answer. I can't imagine what it would have been like to have trusted that the gut feeling that something was wrong and, you know, talking to Dr. J and saying, what's going on? Is there anything else we can do? And him saying no. And then finding out that you were right. Yeah. Not long after. I remember I did end up telling him this. The only thing he could say is like, I'm sorry this happened to you, which to me felt like a non-apology. The last time I did talk with, with Dr. J, I just, I got really mad. Like I just, I said, I thought, I know this is the last time I'm going to see him. I'm going to like, just tell him everything I think. And I said, how could you have let this happen for two years? And he said, well, I know, I know patients who have had it happen for nine years. And I'm like, wait a minute. One, that is that supposed to make me feel like I, I've been having it good? And two, does, does that not seem like a, a mark of quality on you? After the last time Emma saw Dr. J, she started to heal. She had one more surgery. It was a plastic surgery and it went really well. I did go to a month post-surgery checkup with, with my plastic surgeon and, you know, he checked it out and he said, you're healed. And I was like, oh, that's it? Like, I don't know. I, I, I thought I was, I was expecting something more. Like a marching band burst into the office? Yeah, pretty much. These days, things are going pretty damn good for Emma. I, I graduated law school. I, I did get to finish law school. I actually did an exchange, an exchange term in Los Angeles. And now I, I moved to Toronto. I got called to the bar and I'm, I'm living on my own. I'm living independently. And I don't take medication. And I, I just see, I see a gastroenterologist maybe once a year. So how does what happened um, to you change the way you see the world today? I think it really opened my eyes to the fact that you do have to speak up for yourself. And unfortunately, not everybody is going to take you at your word and not everybody is going to believe you. And when I think about my, my place in, in the world where at this time I was 
I was independent. I was upwardly mobile. I was middle-class white, white woman who was educated, who had had one degree and was working for another. And I still had a hard time being believed. So how, if that's my problem, then like, what is it like for somebody who doesn't have those privileges? What advice do you have for anyone who's going through any kind of long-term sickness or long-winded treatment process in the healthcare system? I think it's about being honest, not being afraid to be emotional because it is an emotional process. Your body is going through repeated trauma almost for me, it was almost every day. You know, you're allowed to feel angry or upset or frustrated or whatever you're feeling. And I think it's important that the person who you're putting that trust in and who is caring for your body, because at that point, your body stops being yours. It becomes a product that other people can can make decisions about. And you need to be open with, this is how it's making me feel. If you think you're being questioned or you might not agree with something, you need to be open about it and try and try and find a way forward. Try and have a real dialogue with the person or the people who are treating you. But I, I think it has made me stronger in that, you know, I've, I've, I've been through it where you know, you come out, it's kind of like at the end of the movie where like the final girl kind of comes out and she's she's a bit harder. And I, I think that's a sense of strength for me, actually. Wait You What is written, recorded, produced by me, Erica Mallet. It really helps when you share it with a friend, say, hey, did you hear this new podcast? Talk about it at parties that are not happening at the moment. Zoom parties. I don't know. That's not really happening anymore either. Anyway, the point is that copy that link. Send it to a friend. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. I'll see you very soon. Goodbye.